Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know medical care requires informed consent, but laws require informed consent. Politics, entrepreneurship, how you engage with your diet, health, exercise, even relationships. These all require a place of being informed. And I am so sick of being called a conspiracy theorist for using my brain and being informed. So that's where this podcast came to life. This is Informed Consent. I'm your host, Brooke Brewer. Let's start talking. everybody to take a minute and close your eyes and think of this example. You're running down the road and one bird comes running at you. You can easily swat it away. But not only do you have one bird, but now you have two birds coming at you. Okay, two's a little harder than one, but we could still probably handle it. Well, let's say you're still running down the road and you get upwards of 13 birds running at you, trying to attack you and put their beaks into your arm and are totally going crazy and attacking you. You think you're pretty stressed? Do you think you'd be more stressed out that if you were to only have one bird attacking you? I don't know about you guys, but I would naturally be stressed if one bird was attacking me, but If 13 birds were attacking me, I would be pretty stressed out. So taking that example and putting it into the pneumococcal vaccine, a vaccine that has 13 different strains of bacteria that they're vaccinating for, this is actually the most irritating vaccine that is given to our children. It has had the most irritating side effects. Our children get irritated the most from this. I wonder why. We're going to dive into the details of the pneumococcal vaccine. And I kind of changed up the order of how I wanted to do this. I'm going to save the DTAP vaccine, the diphtheria, the tetanus, and the acellular pertussis vaccine for our final vaccine in the two-month vaccine schedule. Because as I was really putting together the information on this vaccine, it's so similar to the HIB vaccine that we talked about last week that I felt like I wanted to really make sure that we did these next to each other because this of the similarities. And so with that being said, we're going to dive into the pneumococcal vaccine, a vaccine that is given to us on our two month birthday. When our children are two months old, they are going to get this vaccine on their two month checkup. But before we dive in to the pneumococcal vaccine, let's go back into our sponsors as we do every single week. Collagen is such a hot topic right now being talked about all over the social media world, influencers, and and good. Collagen is so important to you, but knowing the collagen that you're using and how it's extracted and how it's actually working with your body is so important. Collagen is a protein found in 25 to 30% of the whole body. It's present in our connected tissues, such as our skin, tendons, ligaments, gut, blood vessels, bones, and muscle tissue. It's one of the most common proteins in the body. And, and unfortunately, as we age, the natural making of collagen decreases, making it even more important to include it as a supplement in our daily routine. What if I told you that there was a collagen product on the market today that also helps to melt away your fat. 
I have found a product that not only has patented bioidentical and bioavailable collagen, which basically means it's identical to the human body. So not only do we fully absorb it, but we recognize it. So we actually can utilize it, but it also can burn fat. Trim not only includes the daily recommended collagen hyaluronic acid matrix collagen, but it includes CLA, which is conjugated linoleic acid. This helps to accelerate fat reduction, reduce fat cell line, reduce fat cell formation, improves your muscle tone, boosts your metabolism, helps you burn more calories and promotes lean body composition. I don't know about you guys, but summer is right around the corner and I am working on my beach body right now. And this product has helped dramatically me help burn those fat cells, but also work on that body composition. So if you are wanting to shred some extra fat this summer, while also supporting your body's natural collagen levels, you can try the trim. I personally love the chocolate. It tastes like brownie batter. It is so good. And you can actually try it for $10 off. It's super simple to order. Go to modere.com. That's M-O-D-E-R-E.com and search for trim collagen. Again, my favorite's the chocolate. It tastes like brownie batter, but there's so many other delicious flavors that are all vegan, organic, natural, gluten-free, low, low, low sugars, no artificial sugars, no artificial sweeteners, all very, very good ingredients while also tasting delicious. So again, go to modeer.com and search for trim collagen. And at checkout, use code 4842132 to save you $10 off your first order. So pneumococcus, it's, it's a bacteria. It's, it's a bacteria that's very similar to Hib. It's a respiratory disease and it's transmitted just like a normal, regular cold. Most people who get the pneumococcal vaccine, if they do show symptoms, will have a very, very, very mild case of this disease. It can give you symptoms like a fever, a cough, just a slight cold, maybe even an ear infection. The most common symptom of this disease though is a fever and just slight cold feeling. In some cases, it can cause pneumonia, meningitis, bloodstream infections. Again, this is very similar to the HIB that we discussed last week. It has very, very uncommon complications though. It's it's very uncommon that the pneumococcal disease turns into pneumonia, but it can, it can turn into pneumococcal pneumonia. It can turn into pneumococcal meningitis. It, it, it is very rare though. Like I said, most of the cases are very mild and almost all of the cases of this, especially in the mild cases, all mild cases can be treated with antibiotics. There are some situations where it gets too advanced, where it turns into that pneumococcal pneumonia or the pneumococcal meningitis, which are a little bit more difficult to be treated. But again, in most cases, it's very simple to treat with a simple dose of antibiotics. You can take that over the counter or in severe cases, when you go to the hospital, they'll give it to you via IV and you should be feeling better shortly after. Statistics show that there's about 2000 severe cases of pneumococcal 
disease a year. What's very interesting with this though, it's, it's a not, it's not a very reported disease. There's actually no mandatory reporting for this. So it's actually very hard to give an exact number of how many cases of this disease are about, but they can estimate again, about 2000 severe cases of this a year. And with that estimate, they can estimate that Although fatalities are very, very low for just pneumococcal disease, in fact, almost at a zero, if the pneumococcal disease gets severe is when it turns into the pneumonia, meningitis, the severe bloodstream infections, that is when fatalities can occur. Pneumonia fatalities are extremely uncommon, but unfortunately, pneumococcal meningitis, there actually is a 20% fatality rate. So there's about 300 fatalities reported a year from pneumococcal meningitis. So this can be very severe if this disease does turn into meningitis. There is over a hundred different strains of this bacteria. And because of that, um, the, the strains of this are very hard to vaccinate for. There currently is the Prevnar 13, which is the current vaccine on the CDC schedule. And this vaccine covers 13 bacteria strains. There actually used to be Prevnar 7 and Prevnar 7 attacked about seven of the over at the point they had studied about 90 pneumococcal diseases. So at the time that Prevnar 7 was out, they were attacking seven of over 90 different um, pneumococcal bacterial strain diseases. Um, But this actually caused a lot of new strains because of this vaccine. And it actually got pulled off of the market because so many more strains came to light and are more prominent. And so they inserted the Prevnar 13 vaccine. And this was a way for them to add actually six more strains to this vaccine. And it's very interesting because the science behind this is is very scarce the strains that are vaccinated for have studied to go down, but the amount of strains since these vaccines have been introduced have actually gone up. There is a lot of clinical research and there's a lot of studies that actually show that the Prevnar 7 introduced the 19A strain of the pneumococcal disease. And the 19A is actually an antibiotic resistant strain. So a lot of studies are showing that the Prevnar 7, the pneumococcal vaccine that had seven strains was actually causing a lot of increases in strains or resistance in strains. And now we are seeing over a hundred different strains of the pneumococcal disease. And, you know, it just, it's a very interesting thing to think about because think of Western medicine, when we think of introducing Western medicine, there tends to always be a risk versus reward. There tends to always be something that comes from something. I mean, how many times have you watched the television where it's like side effects of this may cause drowsiness, may cause swollen limbs, may cause diarrhea, constipation. It's like you are basically taking a medication that could be the lesser of the two evils. I guess you could think of it as like you could take an antidepressant medication 
for your depression that could cause liver damage or that could cause diarrhea or that could cause drowsiness, right? And so we're seeing that kind of happen in real life with this um, pneumococcal vaccine because, you know, when you think about how we intervene, when we intervene with vaccinating for seven different strains, things are going to act up. And we saw that with this antibiotic resistant strain of 19A that kind of came about after the Prevnar 7 was introduced to the CDC schedule. And we have found an endless cycle of increased strains. And there's a, not a lot of science to actually prove that the vaccine caused this, but there's also not a lot of science that can show that it's just how our society or how our life has been that new strains just keep being popped up left and right. And I think that goes to show for the efficacy and it goes to show of the public health concern of this vaccine. Are we really seeing a dramatic decrease of pneumococcal disease from this vaccine? Or are we seeing a just dramatic rise of new strains? These are all questions that you need to ask yourself when you choose to get this vaccine. And I think it's very interesting because yes, we are seeing maybe a decline in some of the strains in the vaccine, but we are seeing a dramatic increase of new strains. So are we creating resistant strains? Are we causing strains to mutate? These are all questions that I wish more scientists would perform studies on. But unfortunately, this is actually a vaccine that most parents don't even realize their kids are getting vaccinated for. It's not a vaccine that is on the television very often or is marketed for on the on our, our advertisements or is talked about in our schools. You know, the pneumococcal disease is actually a relatively new vaccine that we vaccinate for, and it's a more silent one. It's not as common. You know, we hear polio all the time. We hear about the MMR all the time. We hear about the influenza all the time, but we don't typically hear about this one all the time. And it, it's, it's very interesting. So this vaccine is per the CDC schedule given at our two month, four month, six month and 15 month checkup. So just around the time when you will be getting that HIV vaccine, you're also going to be getting this vaccine. Like I had said, I wanted to talk about this shortly after we did our HIV because it's so similar. It's even given at the same times as the HIV vaccine. So how do they make a pneumococcal vaccine? The Prevnar is kind of the name that this vaccine has kind of taken on. It was the Prevnar 7, and now we have the Prevnar 13. We do not have the Prevnar 7 on the CDC schedule anymore. It's just the Prevnar 13, which again is 13 different strains of the pneumococcal bacteria. So they make this vaccine very similar to the Hib. So they take a bunch of pneumococcal bacteria that they keep alive in soy culture. So this is actually cultured with soy. And then they basically take that bacteria out. Again, there's 13 different strains of bacteria and they break up the sugars of this bacteria, just like they did with the Hib. And they actually, rather than using a tetanus toxin, like they do in Hib with this vaccine, they use a diphtheria toxin. 
keep mind of that when we go into the DTaP vaccine. Um, but they take and actually it's a genetically modified diphtheria toxin. It's called CRM197. Again, this is a genetically modified diphtheria toxin where they modify genetically create this toxin. Um, and they actually help create this with yeast cells and they use these yeast cells to make this toxin. And then once this toxin is made up, they mix it with the pneumococcal sugars that they pull out of the bacteria that they were growing and keeping alive in those soy cultures. And then they basically add aluminum to make it work better, I guess you could say. And they add it to the solution with a few other ingredients. You've got your polyosorbate 80 that is in this vaccine to help preserve. You also have a lot of milk derived amino acids in this vaccine. So on top of many different ingredients, I would say the highlight ingredients that I think are important to take note of are your soy protein. Cause again, this is where we are culturing our pneumococcal bacteria. If you know anything about soy, soy is a very common and doctrine disrupting ingredient. Soy products, any, any soy products at all contain xenoestrogens and these mimic the effects of estrogen in the body and interfere with your hormones. So soy for males and females can be very harmful because again, these are endocrine disrupting ingredients. And there's a lot of studies that actually go to show soy is, is really harsh on our hormones, especially men, because again, this is, a uh, because this once again, mimics the effects of estrogen on the body. So if a male is eating a lot of soy or having a lot of soy contained products, it can actually lower their testosterone and increase the effects of estrogen that would have on our body. So soy is, is definitely an ingredient I myself try to stay away from. And it, it's, fascinating that it's being injected into our children potentially four times before they're two years old. Then you have yeast, which causes a lot of bacterial issues, a lot of digestive issues on top of the polyosorbate 80, which we've discussed is an emulsifier. It opens up that blood brain barrier to the brain. And when that's paired with aluminum, it is not, it, it's extra strong and extra potent. So, you know, we talked about this in the ingredient episode. What is it to say that that aluminum isn't passing right to the brain? Because the whole point of polyosorbate 80 is to open up that blood brain barrier. It's used in med Western medicine for pharmaceutical drugs when patients need to be treated in their brain. They need to have treatments being done in their brain. And, and we are, our body's designed to protect our brain. It's it's there's that blood brain barrier that helps to keep things out. The polyosorbate 80 opens up that door. So what is it to say that that polyosorbate 80 isn't allowing all these other ingredients in this vaccine to just happily walk right past that blood brain barrier? I'm not even really going to go into the effects of aluminum because I feel like we have just done that so much already in this vaccine series, but it's important to take note. We are giving aluminum in this vaccine along with HIB, along with many other vaccines on our two month visit. Remind you, this isn't a vaccine that's given when they feel like it around their two months. This is given in conjunction with the HIB, with the DTAP, 
with so many other vaccines that all have their own toxic ingredients. So how does this vaccine work? So like I had shared, there's not a lot of really good science on this vaccine. They've actually not been able to study if this vaccine truly stops you from getting the disease and actually spreading it to others. So the public health concern for not getting this vaccine is very low because there really isn't no science or studies that actually show that if you don't get this vaccine, you will spread it to others. Because in fact, they can't really prove that this vaccine is actually stopping you from getting pneumococcal disease, which you know, if we even think about it logically makes sense because there's over a hundred different strains of the pneumococcal disease and this vaccine's only vaccinating for 13 of them. So there's still potential 87 of them flying around that you could come into contact with that you don't have quote unquote immunity from per this vaccine. They do suspect per research that it can help severe cases be reduced. So this can help in the event that you were to get a severe case, let's say pneumococcal meningitis, this vaccine is shown to potentially reduce it from being a severe case. Studies also have shown that it has reduced the strains that are in the vaccine, but it has also increased the new strains. So They truly have no studies that actually show that this pneumococcal vaccine has decreased the pneumococcal disease in general. It's just all per the strain. So as these strains maybe go down, new strains go up because new strains are being created. Another very interesting component with this vaccine, very similar to the Hib, is this is another vaccine that you could potentially get in lower doses if you delay this vaccine. So you have the option in this vaccine to do fewer doses. If you actually wait until you're two years old, they say per studies and science that it will work the same if you get one dose on or around your two year birthday, your two-year checkup versus if you were to space it out, how that is recommended on the CDC schedule. So that's two month, four month, six month, and 15 month. So you can get four doses by the time you're 15 months old, or you can get one dose after your two-year birthday, and you will have the same protection. Some people just opt to have that protection when they are under two years old, where some people choose to wait and not get nearly as many in the harmful ingredients. They just rather get one dose versus the four doses. And these doses are identical. They just say that one dose is just as good as four doses from the time you get them from the two month four month, six month, and 15 month versus the two year. You can also even get two doses after the age of one instead of four. So there are many different ways to delay this vaccine. If you read the insert, the vaccine insert, it it states it right in the vaccine insert, all the different ways that you can delay it, all the different ways it's been studied that it's delayed, the the success rates, all of that. Unfortunately, though, we just aren't being told this by our doctors. We are just told, okay, sure. It's my two month. What am I supposed to get? 
The CDC schedule recommends you get it at your two months. So boom, inject if you don't ask questions. If your doctor was truly sitting down with you and going through the vaccine insert with you as they are supposed to per informed consent, you would read on there that there is an option to wait and delay this vaccine. Speaking of the vaccine insert, I want to break down the vaccine insert because I think there are some very important things on the vaccine insert. But before we dive into that, I want to just quickly cover some of the side effects that have been reported. This actually is being reported on the vaccine insert and also some other places as well. So this is actually the most known irritable vaccine that is given to our children. It is, it has a lot of irritability. In fact, there's a CDC consent form that parents must sign that states that 80% of babies will get irritated from this vaccine. Let me repeat that again. 80% of babies will get irritated with this vaccine, some sort of irritation. Irritation can be anywhere as as colics to nonstop crying, nonstop screaming, fevers, 80%. That's a wild statistic. Why is that? Why, Why is this such an irritable vaccine? Well, CRM-197, again, this is that diphtheria toxin, the genetically modified diphtheria toxin. This is designed to actually be irritating to tissues. In fact, it may even cause damage or even kill the tissues that it comes into contact with when giving this vaccine. It causes severe inflammation. And we know by now that when inflammation happens in the body, it causes irritability. Sometimes our body doesn't actually act on that irritability, but deep down, our body could be really suffering from inflammation. And in many, many, many cases, 80% of those cases, the inflammation is so severe that it causes irritability with your child. Aside from the CRM 197, we all know that aluminum causes irritability and aluminum is in this vaccine. So the two together causes some severe irritability. And then lastly, just looking at the amount of strains as the strains increase, so do the reactions. This vaccine has the most strains of any vaccine on the market. The flu vaccine has about four strains that it vaccinates for. And this vaccine has 13 different strains. And taking the example that I shared at the beginning of this podcast, if you have multiple different strains attacking your body and causing a reaction to your body, your body is naturally going to be irritated. I get anxiety thinking about it. Going back to that bird example, you got one bird flying at you. Yeah. Okay. I can take it Two. All right. Three, four, five. Okay. Now we're starting to get a little stressed. 13 birds attacking you. That would make me irritable too. So you are vaccinating your children for 13 strains to protect them from a disease that has over 100 strains to potentially protect you from a disease that is totally treatable with antibiotics if caught early and on time. Another very, very common side effect from this vaccine is actually febrile seizures, especially if this vaccine is given in conjunction on the same day as the flu shot. It's even more common that you will have any sort of seizures, but especially febrile seizures from this vaccine. 
irritability. Hmm. Is this causing any sort of brain inflammation that we should be concerned about with that aluminum and that polysorbate 80, the diphtheria toxin, but we're just going to let them cry it out. No problem. Let's let them cry it out. Let's let them be irritable. Let's let them just be cranky and colicky for 24 to 48 hours. But don't worry, just give your child some baby Tylenol and they'll be okay. Well, let's talk about that Tylenol. Let's talk about that Tylenol. You know, we're going to do an episode at one point on the show fully on Tylenol. But if you are someone who gives your baby Tylenol, you are depleting one of the most critical critical enzymes from your child's body or your body for that matter. Tylenol contains an ingredient called acetometaphen. Acetometaphen is the last thing you want to give your baby post-vaccine. Acetometaphen in the liver depletes glutathione. Glutathione is an enzyme that you need in your body to help you rid your body from toxins. So when you take this Tylenol that contains acetomyofen, you are stopping your body from producing an enzyme that is needed to detox the body. Our babies need to detox all the toxic ingredients that you are giving your babies in the vaccines. Ergo, aluminum, CRM-19. When your body can't detox from those toxins, they hold those toxins in. And we as humans should not have these toxins in our body. So all those doctors that tell you to give you Tylenol because that will reduce your fever, that will calm them down, are not looking at the research that shows how much this can affect our children, affect our livers, affect us as adults. Because when you are low in gluteothione, you are ridding yourself from one of the most crucial enzymes that our bodies need to detox, especially to detox in our liver. I take a supplement that has glutathione in it every single day because this is such an important enzyme. And we just live in a toxic world. I don't care how hard I try to stay away from toxins. I, I'm around them every single day. And I don't know about you guys, but I want an enzyme in my body that will help rid my body of toxins. I don't want to try to deplete it, which is why I stay far away from Tylenol. But yet our doctors tell you for all that irritability that our children are getting, most likely from this vaccine, 80%, in fact, just take a Tylenol. Oh my goodness, could you do the absolute opposite? If you get this vaccine and your baby is irritable, what you really should be giving them is a supplement that contains glutathione. Just my logical opinion. But going back to this vaccine, it's a multi-strain vaccine and multi-strain vaccines escalate. The more strains that you have, the more irritable that you're going to be. And it's, it's very confusing to even think about because there's never going to be a time where you're going to ever come into contact with 13 strains at once. You know, if you were to ever be exposed to the pneumococcal bacteria, whether it be one of the hundred strains, it's going to have 
most likely it's just going to be one strain. And if we come and get exposed to that strain, our body has time to build antibodies and build immunity to that strain. You're never going to be in a real life situation where you're going to be exposed to 13 strains at once besides the vaccine. And yes, I understand the vaccines trying to get your body to build antibodies to 13 different strains, 13 of yes, one of the more common strains, but still it's something that our bodies just don't naturally do. So the natural immunity side is, is so opposite here because you, you aren't building natural immunity because you're getting vaccine induced immunity and you're making your body as you're giving your body a situation that it's never going to normally be in. And because of this, you do see a lot of autoimmune components from this vaccine, which is very interesting as well. So we have a disease that is almost entirely treatable with antibiotics yes, can have some severe reactions in very escalated cases, especially cases that go unnoticed and are gone without medical attention. Yet we are going to give a vaccine to our children for 13 strains, even though there's about a hundred strains out there, while also including many ingredients that are known to cause irritability, but don't worry, your baby might just cry it out for an hour to 48 hours, but that's okay. Let's just give them some Tylenol. Looking at the vaccine insert, a few other things that I want to point out. The Prevnar 13 specifically is vaccinating for the the bacteria strains 1, 3, 4, 5, 6A, 6B, 7F, 9V, 14, 18C, 19A, 19F, and 23F. Some other things on the vaccine insert that I think are extremely important to point out is the fact that per studies and per the clinical studies are according to what's on the CDC schedule. So two month, four month, six month, and 15 month, it is extremely common to have a fever. Any fever actually on the first dose is studied to be 24% on the second dose, 36.5% on the third dose, 30.3%. And on the fourth dose, 31.9% of your children will get a fever, a fever, which is the most common symptom of any pneumococcal disease. Again, this is a very mild disease. And if you are to show symptoms, again, those symptoms include fever, cold-like symptoms, a cough, maybe even an ear infection. But don't worry, go get the vaccine and you're a potentially 32% chance that you are going to get a fever. We also have, again, 85%, 85 85.6% of children receiving that first dose will be irritable. On dose two, 84.8% will be irritable. On dose three, 79.8% will be irritable. And on dose four, 80.4% of children will be irritable. Alarming to me is the amount of children that are having a decreased appetite after this vaccine. They are getting a decreased appetite, which we should know at this young age Appetite is important because that's how these children are growing. That's how they get their essential nutrients, especially if they are breastfed babies. We want them to get those 
healthy antibodies from mom's breast milk. And after the first dose, 48.3% of children will have a decreased in appetite. So that's close to 50% of kids will have a decreased appetite after this vaccine. That's crazy. And it only goes up after the second dose, 47.8% have a decreased appetite, 47.6% after dose three. And after dose four, 51% of babies will have a decreased appetite after getting this vaccine for a virus that is almost completely treatable. Risk versus benefits, risk versus rewards. I always feel like I need to also point out on just like every vaccine insert, you will be able to find that Prevnar 13 has not been evaluated for the potential to cause carcinogenicity, genotoxicity, or impairment of male fertility, which means that this vaccine has not been studied or evaluated to know if it has a potential to cause cancer. I've said it once and I will say it again. If you ask your doctor if their vaccines that they are giving your child could potentially cause them cancer and they look you in the eye and tell you these vaccines cannot cause cancer or they do not cause cancer, you are no longer looking at a doctor. You are looking at a liar because they cannot scientifically, they cannot evidentially say that this vaccine does not cause cancer because there is no studies or evaluations to back their statement. And quite frankly, if they're a doctor, they should know that because they should have read the insert themselves. So this is another vaccine that is a very controversial and interesting vaccine in the sense of the irritability that it causes. In fact, you have to have a consent form in most places to give this vaccine to let the parents know that 80% of children will have irritability from this vaccine. And it's another, in my opinion, controversial vaccine, because is it necessary? Is this a vaccine that is necessary for our children to survive when they're vaccinating for a disease that is almost always treatable with antibiotics? Always risk, always risk the always weigh the risks of the vaccine and the benefits of the vaccine when making that decision. You are the parent of the children. You can say no. You can also say yes. You can do whatever you feel that you want to do. You can delay this vaccine. Like I had shared, this vaccine does allow you to delay. You can wait to just get one dose at your two-year checkup if you choose to do so. These are options and these are options that your doctor should be telling you about. And if they are not, in my opinion, you need a new doctor because informed consent is important. And yes, I want to put our trust into our pediatricians. I want to put our trust into our doctors, but if they aren't fully informing you and telling you the risks and telling you the rewards, and telling you the benefits, and telling you the options, they are not in it to serve you. They are in it to get the money. They are in it to see the next patient. And I know a lot of doctors, and I know a lot of people that care 
But unfortunately, we're living into a world that is becoming so sick that we are seeing, our doctors are seeing patient after patient after patient. They don't have time to sit down with you and open up the insert. And they don't have time with you to go over everything. And that's the sad part. And yet we want to go to a free healthcare system. You guys really think that if we have a free healthcare system, our doctors are going to have more time to work on us. Go ask Canada how long it takes someone to get an MRI. Mm -hmm. Free healthcare system. Does it really work? Should you get it? Should you not get it? That's something that you have to decide. You have options. You have options. And I think it's important to weigh those options. And while you also weigh those options, please also weigh the options of what you will do if you get it and your baby is irritable. Weigh the options of if you get the pneumococcal vaccine, or I'm sorry, if you give the pneumococcal vaccine to your child and your child is irritable and your doctor tells you to take Tylenol, I hope you think twice about that as well, because we know what Tylenol can do and your body, your baby's body needs to detox from that aluminum and all the other crap that they just injected to their body not only from this vaccine, but the many other vaccines that they are given on their two month, four month, six month checkups. And we are going to continue with what they are given on those checkups in next week's episode. So thank you guys for tuning in. I hope you guys are enjoying this vaccine conversation series. I hope you are enjoying me going through each vaccine and what we vaccinate for and each disease or virus that we vaccinate for. I hope you guys are finding benefits to this. If you are, I would so appreciate a review, a rating, share this on social media, give me a tag. My Instagram is at brookbrewer20. I would love to just hear from you guys and hear if this is helping you guys, if this is helping you learn and always share this with people. If you feel that this needs to be in the hands of someone, maybe an expecting mom, maybe a mom with a young child, because unfortunately they are probably not getting the informed consent that they deserve. So I hope you guys all have a great week and I will see you guys picking up next week, next Wednesday with another episode in our vaccine series, continuing on our two month visit.